You stop listening now. Welcome to Cuffs and Gavels, your source for true crime and hot takes. My name is Anna. And my name is Alex. Every episode, we bring you the stories that made headlines, and we give them sober second thought. Today on the docket, we're going to examine a mysterious disappearance in the American Southwest. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Cuffs and Gavels and shoot us an email at cuffandgavel at gmail.com. That's right. As you all know, we love to hear your hot takes and insights on the cases that we discuss. Alex, it has been what scientists are calling a long time. Uh, it has indeed. It is. That's a good way of putting it. It's scientifically accurate at this yeah. point. It's been too long. Way too long. It's. It's been both a metric and imperial hella long time. It, yes. Yeah. It's, it's been, been a, a Kelvin-esque time. fuck ton. <laughs> it's been such a fuck ton you can measure the heat energy off of it. it there's, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> there's a lot going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a lot going on in the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> where do you, where do you want to begin with, with what's been going yeah. on? <laughs> so... I think since we last recorded, uh, the Ukraine and Russia is at war. Mm-hmm. They yeah. are at war. Excuse me, subject verb agreement. Uh, I believe I speak for everyone listening to this when I say uh, Slava Ukraine. Slava Ukraine. And Heroim Slava. And we stand with our family and friends in the Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. We are thinking of you. We are praying for you. Um we, I, I am breathless with the resilience of the Ukrainian people. Yes. Uh, it, it's a master class for everyone else who's worried about the strength of their Wi-Fi connection or their apartment not getting enough southern light. Go yeah. fight a war. Yeah. <laughs> Go fight a war. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, which, and by the way, another thing that happened uh, while we were on, I guess, hiatus in a sense, like just yeah. kind of because so much was going on, Um we had to deal with the occupation. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Did and that happen since last time? Yes, that happened since last time. Oh, my God. And a lot of domestic... When I say domestic issues, I don't mean, like, personal. I mean, like, domestic, like, security concerns. <laughs> when we say occupation, what we mean is the capital city of the country in which Alex and I reside Um it was forcefully occupied yeah. by a number of people who were very upset yeah. about something. Yeah, it's not, well, a few, yeah. <laughs> There's some buzzwords associated with it, but we're not going to breathe any more oxygen no. into that fire. Because it was bad. It was really bad. And yeah. it's over now, which is great. It, it's great that it's over now. It's great that um, that I could you know have access and and other people could have access to their places of residence again um that's <laughs> really fan. nice huge fan of that um yeah but at the same time just speaking of how things have been progressing and developing in the world it's interesting that we went from that to an actual like when i say an actual concern like it's not that that wasn't an actual concern but the actual suppression of freedom the actual yeah. invasion the actual display of um rejection of sovereignty um yeah yeah it's been a lot uh, to to illustrate for the listeners in our show notes right now i have an an asterisk discuss asterisk asterisk all of this for a few minutes like waves hands yeah yeah 
but there's been a lot. There has. The the good news is that we're we're fine, if a bit stressed. Um, but we hope yeah. everybody else is doing okay. And we are thinking on a regular basis of our friends and family and connections in some of the really uh in some of the parts of the world, especially Ukraine, where there's a lot of uh, a lot of really devastating things going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. You mentioned that the resilience of the Ukrainian people is uh, something that's been put on international display, and I I could not be more, I guess, proud in a way of seeing how people stand up to authoritarianism and mm-hmm. and uh, you know the the indiscriminate waging of pointless war. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there is that. But it's something that, yeah, we, you and I both talk about it a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're thinking of everybody in Ukraine and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's kind of not a lot to say because it's kind of a speechless, kind of leaves me speechless yeah, that, we're, yeah. that we're here. It's emotionally trying. It really, like, it feels, 2022 has started with a... Like we got started a little bit with some recording and then I feel like we got derailed around the time. Everything got derailed. But the good news is that we're coming back. Yeah. So. I, some of the blame there is my, my fault. I moved and got married in the same 10 day period. Really bad idea. Would you not recommend that? I would not. So imagine trying to dig two holes at once by yourself. It's Mm. not, it's not a feat easily accomplished for any, any young lovers out there who are thinking, should I make a solemn commitment to my partner and purchase real estate with them at the same time? No, no, you shouldn't. It's a really Mm. bad idea. Um, Wouldn't recommend, but I am delighted that it's done. And I'm proud to say that I'm coming to you from the new, well, half headquarters of Cuffs and Gavels. Yeah. CNG HQ. Which so. is absolutely fantastic news. Super good. Oh, man. Good um, to be here. It's good to, and I think you can take some she solace. She says to an empty room. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it is good to know as well that um, while that might not be the greatest decision in terms of taking on a massive workload, it's a lot better than the relationship decisions that some people have made. I've just been binging the ultimatum on Netflix. <laughs> And my God, talk about crime. Talk about like self-crime. People playing themselves and using their relationships as, um, yeah, oh my God. Sorry, I just had, I, I couldn't resist the opportunity to I haven't to make watched it. Is it. Is it good? Like, it, what's No, the it's premise? terrible, but I can't stop watching. Okay. <laughs> See, I watch Love Island for that. This is my guilty mm, pleasure. Yeah. I, I love, I love Love Island so hard. Yeah. It, I could go down it, a, a a rabbit hole on that and one. Is it true that Love Island is filmed like every day? Like there's a new episode every day? Because somebody told me at one point that there was a new episode yeah. every day. So it's kind of like Big Brother in the sense that the it airs every day, but mm-hmm. a one day a week, it's um, like a recap show. So they call it mm. Unseen Bits because it's like, ha ha, it sounds huh. like your parts. That sounds uh, like Unseen Bits. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's either they, six days a week, you'll get a show and then one of them's a recap show or seven days a week, you get a show and one of them's a recap show. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, it all amounts to the same thing, which is young, hot plastic people yeah. behaving very poorly, mm-hmm. uh, and very uncomfortable discussions about, um, like race and identity and beauty standards and, uh, 
it gets it gets awkward really quickly for anyone who doesn't fit into a certain mold. Um, right, right. And th- and then and then the other thing is like in every season, there's one episode towards the end where like all of the families come to visit, but mm. like for every like for six weeks before that, the family member who has been in that villa yeah. has been going buck wild and when i say buck wild i mean like in the first three or four seasons of the show Mm -hmm. people were just getting intimate everywhere right all the time yeah all they did was smoke and drink and have relations with one another and then somewhere between like seasons four or five itv which produces the show realized like oh we're missing out on like we're gonna lose a really target demo here because mm-hmm. it's just a little too hot for TV. Mm. So all of a sudden, the shift, like the focus shifted from, like, hot people that walked out of a club and signed an agreement to be on a show, right? At like four o'clock in the morning one day, they they kind of turn into like Instagram stars. So now you'll uh, get people who are much more brand conscious and aren't just like, yeah. Whatever, whatever. I'll go to yeah. the south of Spain for six weeks and hang out in my bathing suit looking like a hot person mm. so now you get like instagram stars who are like i'm a social media influencer but they have an english accent imagine me doing an english accent right and then uh they yeah. do really embarrassing challenges which involve them doing like sex positions and covering themselves in food and like spitting food into other people's mouths oh so it's or, a little like, less like well, it's a little less like just rampantly lewd and a little more like still lewd, but it's suggestive. It's more suggestive. suggestive. Or they'll like be bouncing on a ball or they'll have to like guess who did the, the very scandalous sexy thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then again, I could go down the Love Island rabbit hole very, very easily. Well, it's it's, it's my telling, guilty pleasure. Right. It's so yeah. Great. Well, I was just thinking as we we're talking about this too, that it's telling about like our, our mental states that in the last few months since we've been away doing stuff, you know, taking in the news of the world, we've found solace in trash TV. Absolute trash. Like <laughs> that's absolute trash. It's not all we've been doing. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing, which is awesome. Oh, um, so good. Yeah. So that's cool. But I mean, yeah, there's, I, I, I guess I have to say like, yeah, you see what's going on and you go, I just need something to unplug a little bit (laughs) just please jesus somebody distract me please Please, i just want to be distracted (laughs) i don't want to think my own thoughts yeah so i need somebody to judge i need someone who's doing worse than i am yeah please just somebody show me that please give me something so that my brain can shut down reboot recover and then i can come back to cuffs and gavels and come back to all our wonderful listeners and come back to hearing all those great hot takes and, and all the discussions we have. And yeah. I think we're now at that point, which is great. Okay, so funny you should say that, because in the time that we've been away, we made some very important discoveries. The mm. most interesting and surprising of which is that for a brief period, we were number 160 on the True Crime Podcast charts in Sweden! Sweden! yeah. I hope I said that correctly. Um, and if he, he didn't, we're very sorry, we're very Sweden. Sorry. <laughs> we, as Canadians, we must instantly apologize. Very um, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, that, that was a really very cool discovery. And it feels like a real honor. Like, it is a real honor to connect with a country that way, with, with listeners that way. And, and also, for me personally, just to 
to say, like, it's a real honor to connect with the home of Scandinavian crime noir. hundred percent. Right? <laughs> like, hundred percent. This is this is the homeland of the killing Wallander, Helling, Henning Mankell, uh, the Millennium Trilogy by Stieg Larsson, aka the whole Girl with Dragon Tattoo series, Camilla Lockberg. If any country knows good crime, it's Sweden. So this feels like a like a like a badge of honor, you know? That's super cool. Uh, have you seen The Killing? It's so oh, good. It's so good. It's so Maybe good. Maybe we should do like a Kevin Gavel special like mini series on The Killing. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Hit us up at Cuff and Gavel on Twitter. Cuffs and Gavels? I can't remember what our Twitter handle is now. It's Hit us up on Twitter <laughs> at Cuff and Gavel. We had a name change early on. It was yeah. a branding decision. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Should we do a special mini series on The Killing? It's so good. It's so good. I'd do that it's in a so heartbeat. So. Okay, cool. Um, important to note, though, as the internet gives, it also takes. So although we have had phenomenal feedback and amazing friends in Sweden that we are connecting with now. We've also found some naysayers. So that's okay. We're allowed to have naysayers. Sure. Yeah. Um, because you found some feedback from some <laughs> haters on our coverage of the Shanann Watts case. Yes. And Anna, I don't know if you knew this, but apparently we're victim blamers. Shoot. Yeah. God I knew it. Damn it. You know. Damn it. Damn it. Frig. I was hoping that wasn't going to get out. God, I tried, so I put it on my to-do list. Don't yeah. be a victim blamer today. Yes, I write it down every day in a little Shoot. journal, and then I, I tear it up and I burn it in a little candle, you know, yeah. to, to remind myself to do it again the next day. And, 100%. And yet, and yet, and yet. But in all seriousness, yeah. um, there was some criticism that with with the Shanann Watts case, we we may have implied some kind of victim blame. I'm kind of... I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit because I don't feel that we were ever like, it's hard to come to something knowing that you're not looking to blame anybody. And then having someone say, say like, Oh, that's what you did. And it's like, that's, that's hard. And to be honest, criticism is always welcome because it helps us grow and evolve. In this case, a few people out there seem to think that somehow we were blaming Shanann for the tragedy that befell her and her children. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what part of us, did that i'm not sure what part of us tearing chris watts down for being a vicious deceptive murderous asshole obscured the narrative <laughs> um but let's take this with you know in in the spirit of fairness like yeah maybe this is an opportunity to be clear so yeah. let's be clear here we don't want to indulge any haters but let's get the record down without a shadow of a doubt so to be clear Shanann's death and that of her children was not her fault. It didn't come about mm -hmm. because of anything she did. We have no sympathy for Chris Watts. He was 100%. Zero percent. He was 100% in the wrong. 100% um, in the wrong. Yeah. And, and I, I think we tried to convey that if people felt we did. I, I'm sorry for that. Um, but yeah. I'm not sure where it's coming from. But to be very clear, we don't believe in blaming the victim in any case and definitely yeah. not in that one. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb because if I put myself in the shoes of somebody else who was saying, I, you know, you're a victim blamer. Okay. How could, how could they have thought that? I'm going to go ahead and assume 
because I have no idea what what particularly was it set the haters off because mm. we don't really think about them that much. Right. But if I were a gambling woman, I would bet that my discussion about how Shanann's full-on embrace of the Facebook broadcast life alienated Chris was somehow interpreted as victim blaming, right? Mm, so right. because I'm identifying a thing that Shannon was doing as negative, I'm saying that she was somehow deserving what happened. That's that's a false equivalency. Yeah, and, it's a pretty it's a pretty large leap, but I guess yeah. if we're going to make that stretch, I could see where Maybe somebody that's might what it was. suggest that that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the effects of that social media uh, like the effect of featuring the family so much and what impact it might have had on them. But at no point did we suggest or imply that the Facebook broadcast was somehow, you know, legitimate grounds for Chris to kill Shanann and their children and their unborn, mm-hmm. or their unborn child. Yeah. Our point was and has always been that Chris started donging around behind his wife's back and decided to take the worst possible action afterward. And mm. now that Chris is a convicted murderer, murderer serving multiple life sentences, again, for the wife, children, and unborn child that he killed, uh, he is now a felon living out the rest of his life behind bars where he should be. Mm-hmm. Shanann did not deserve what happened to her. Her family did not deserve what happened to them. Chris 100% deserves to be behind bars. We are delighted that the justice system delivered that result. That's how this process should work. I think we've probably said all that we need to say about that now. Yeah. Justice yeah. was served. He's in prison. Enough said. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's enough of indulging the negative uh, yeah. on this return. Um, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to accentuate the positive as far as we can in the world of true crime. Um, we know that this is a tough subject. Like, I don't, Neither you or I take the arena in which we talk about these things lightly. No. Like, true crime is not entertainment. It's the worst day of someone's life. Exactly. It's the worst day of someone's life. Exactly. If you're somebody who battles with anxiety the way I do, a lot of my, like, obsessive behaviors involve anticipating what's the worst possible outcome of me doing A, B, or C. Right. Imagine that you don't get that sick payoff of that not happening, though. Imagine mm, it happens, yeah. and then it it's happening. Exactly. Imagine it just happens, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. It's the yeah. worst day of someone's life. Exactly, exactly. And there's a fascin- there's there's fascinating human drama behind it, but we always want to approach it with respect and recognizing the gravity of the situation. Um, so we are we are going to stay positive about it and how we do yep. it, but we're also cognizant of of you know, the the importance and the gravity of of the situation. So as far as accentuating the positive goes, we also want to give a shout out to everyone who left us a positive review. Yeah. Um, We love hearing from you and we love seeing some of the comments that are out there too. Just like really, I don't know. It's so cool. It's like, I just feel so- They think we're clever. They think we're clever. It's (laughs) so nice. They think we're clever and funny. Oh my God. You know, if I could, anybody who said that, I think you're clever too. That is like the nicest thing. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's so great. And so- if you if you like hearing us and you have thoughts on the podcast, you know, we would love it if you could reach out to us. We'd love hearing from you. Um, yeah. we would always, as always, love it if you would subscribe. As the YouTubers like to say, smash those likes and subscribes. Do it up. Do it up. <laughs> Do it up. 
Um, you know, it's like when people, like when you have that really awkward moment when someone says, happy birthday, and then you're like, oh, you too. And it's like, fuck, no. <laughs> my favorite when is people when someone, said, well, my favorite is when someone says, have a good flight, and I say, you too, and it's like, it's at yeah. the concierge. Yeah, like, no, it's it's yeah. awkward. Yeah. Uh, that's how I felt the reading positive comments on the show because I'm like, you think we're smart? I think you're smart. This is, <laughs> yeah. And also with you, my friend. And that's also great. With you. <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, let's talk about today's case. Yeah. Because let's today talk we're getting back in the crime DeLorean, mm-hmm. firing it up. We are going back to Arizona. Nice. And we're going to talk about a young man named Daniel Robinson. This story, upon first telling, could easily encourage a hand wave. Yeah, at first glance, um, and, and that's one of the issues with this, yeah. uh, which we'll get to. Let's set the scene a little bit. Daniel is a young man. He's just out of college, and he's working on a geology dig in the barren desert west of Phoenix. Suddenly, he goes missing while he's out there. And... That's nothing particularly shocking at face value, right? Because if you think about it, a young man's working alone in the desert. Maybe he takes a wrong turn leaving the the site, tragically ends up lost in the vastness of an inhospitable place. Yeah, it's hot. (laughs) Yeah, it's hot. It's a a tough environment. (laughs) Maybe there's stress or mental illness which are manifesting at the same time, which is sadly more common than we'd like to admit. And he's Mm -hmm. had some kind of episode which makes him take off and he disappears. Maybe it's that, or maybe it's more complicated than that. Because in researching Daniel's story, we discovered some really unusual twists and turns. We discovered some bored coets. We discovered 21st century new wave psychobabble thought leaders slash kind of Oprah surrogates. It's like an Oprah horcrux for those yeah, of you yeah. who are... Yeah. We discovered a car engine that somehow started 46 times over after it had crashed and burned. Yeah. So why don't you come with us as we head out into the desert near Buckeye, Arizona, to piece together what could have happened to Daniel Robinson? So today, we're talking about a good man named Daniel who disappeared. At the time of his disappearance, Daniel was 24 years old. He wasn't a huge, imposing guy. He was 5'8", but he was friendly. He was outgoing. If you Google him, all you see is photo after photo of a young man with a kind face and a megawatt smile. Daniel was born without his right forearm. But to be honest, even saying that sounds like a disservice to him. It's, it's really unfair to define people by their birth in comparison to anyone else's body. He was born as he was. And whatever perceived limitations there may have been from the way his arm looked were immediately rendered unimportant were immediately rendered unimportant by his vivacity and passion for life. In 2019, he graduated from the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. He loved music, he loved travel, and he'd recently started a position as a geologist. He also had a side job making deliveries for Instacart. He was living in Phoenix, Arizona, and was working on a dig near the Sun Valley Parkway, and that's really where our story and this mystery begins. So picture this. It's June 23rd, 2021, in the morning. 
Daniel leaves Buckeye, Arizona, and drives his blue-gray Jeep Renegade to the geological site, which is near Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road, about 45 miles east of Phoenix. He meets with a work colleague, who reports later that Daniel seemed distant and not himself, and was acting strangely, staring into the distance and talking about things that didn't make sense. Around 9 a.m., Daniel drove away from the site, apparently without telling anyone where he was going or why he was leaving. Later that day, one of his co-workers, or perhaps the same one, showed up at his sister's house asking if she'd seen him. When she said she hadn't seen Daniel, she called her and Daniel's father, David Robinson, who lives in South Carolina. David immediately packed for Phoenix and called police to declare that his son was missing. So with Daniel officially missing, Buckeye police initiated a search in the area. They searched more than 70 square miles of desert terrain using UTVs, cadaver dogs, and air support, including a helicopter and a drone. But they found no sign of Daniel. Almost a month passes when on July 19, 2021, Daniel's car is discovered by a nearby landowner and rancher. The car is found in a ravine southwest of the geologic site, about four miles away. Police report that because of the rough nature of the terrain, the car was not clearly visible to searchers who were in the area looking for Daniel both on foot and in the air. When it's found, the car is on its side and it shows signs of significant damage. It's pretty smashed up. It looks as though it rolled into the ravine. The windshield is cracked and the airbags are deployed. Daniel's keys, phone, and wallet, as well as bottled water, a t-shirt, a pair of jeans which are turned inside out, shorts, an orange work vest, boots, and two mismatched socks are found inside the car. But Daniel isn't in the Jeep and there's no sign of him anywhere. Investigators would later find a third sock at the original geologic site. So the car is removed from the site where it's found and examined, and further details are discovered. One, the car accelerated quickly before it crashed, which investigators say is consistent with an attempt to drive up the side of the ravine. Evidence also suggests that the car had 11 additional miles on it from when the time the airbags deployed. And finally, the car had 46 ignition cycle attempts from when the airbags deployed. None of this explains where Daniel is, but it lends different evidence to consider. So police continue the search for Daniel, and at one point, two decommissioned mine shafts in the area are searched, one of them being up to 75 feet deep, but no sign of Daniel is found in the mine shafts. On July 31st, 2021, a human skull is found in an area south of where the Jeep was recovered. However, it was determined not to be Daniel's. So at the time of recording this, it's been almost nine months. Is that right? Nine months? Probably more. July, September, in 10 months now. Wow. So at the time of our recording this discussion, it's been 10 months and Daniel has still not been found. Most recently on March 12th, 2022, a candlelight vigil was held by family and friends of Daniel Robinson at the foot of the Arizona State Capitol building. Searches continue, spearheaded by Daniel's father, David, who has not given up and who's actively attracting volunteers and has also been calling on Buckeye police to do more to look for Daniel. So a few things jump out at me here. Daniel's father, David, is an army veteran. And there's something about the immediate response and action he took that signals to me 
that Daniel's disappearance is cause for alarm. Because those who have served either in the armed forces or in law enforcement or first responders or emergency services or in medicine, you know that when you get that feeling, that gut instinct that says, this isn't right, you have to take action. Right? Mm-hmm. David didn't stop and say, well, let's, let's give him a few hours and maybe he'll check back in. Right. He immediately packed up his life and flew to Arizona to begin the search. That tells me that Daniel's behavior... If it's off to your colleagues who are like, huh, that's kind of weird. So weird that I'm going to go talk to your sister who I probably don't know. And mm. your dad's packing up with eight hours notice. Like, yeah, yeah. Something was off with Daniel that day. Um, the next thing that I find really kind of interesting and perhaps the largest piece of evidence that we have in this case so far is the car and everything. Like everything about the car is confusing. Yeah. I understand how a vehicle can go unnoticed in the desert. I get it. You'd be surprised at the kind of the level of camouflage that can be provided by a thin coat of dust and dirt. But what I don't understand is the following. What's the deal with the clothes? What was he wearing when he left the car if what we must assume were his clothes for the day were found inside the car? Why is there one lone sock at the work site and why are there two mismatched socks in the car? Maybe some people, like, I get it. Some people are slobs and they just use their car as a closet. This doesn't, like, Daniel doesn't sound like that guy to me, right? right? If you are, if you have your stuff together enough to be, you know, running two jobs and you're a recent graduate and you're a young guy, like, he has his life together enough at 20, at his early 20s yeah. to be, out at a functional member of society like this. This is not yeah. a guy who's a slob in his car. Right. And everything what? that's indicated, everything that's been indicated is that he's a pretty measured guy. Like he's, you know, he's a scientist yeah, exactly. for one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. What's the deal with the 11 miles after the airbags deployed? Ex- explain that to me. Mm. Does that mean, like, is this a kind of Ferris Buellerian turn the wheels to see if we can turn the odometer situation where maybe the car crashed and the wheels kept spinning and that added 11 extra miles. Is, is that how they got there? Because I don't understand how a car can take that kind of impact and then the odometer keep going. Like, I don't Yeah. help me square that circle. I don't get that. Yeah. I, that's something that I'm kind of confused about as well, because if a vehicle lands, like let's say a vehicle comes to rest in an accident type situation, yeah. it's perfectly feasible that given the situation, um, there might be the continual spinning of some wheels. And this car was found on its side. So presumably the wheels could have kept spinning for a while. Uh, there's also the possibility that during recovery, because uh, we don't know quite how it was recovered, that additional wheel spinning was occurring could have added onto the odometer. I find that I, I presume. I mean, I'm totally assuming here, but I don't think it would be a lot. Like 11 miles to continue running for 11 miles is that's, odd. That's 22 kilometers. Yeah, like yeah, that's a long. That's a long way. Was yeah. like, is it possible? I don't know how these cars work, but like, if you crash a car somewhere and then tow it. Would the towing of the vehicle contribute to the advancement of the odometer? Or does the car have to be on for that to happen? Yeah, like I, 
I love cars, but I wish I knew the technical answer <laughs> to this question. Uh, someone probably does. If um, you do, hit us up on Twitter. Please do. Shoot us an email, cuffandgavel yeah. at gmail.com. Absolutely. That one still is Cuff and Gavel because I can't change that email address. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I want to know. I want to know what the deal is with the 46 engine turnovers because that says to me that somebody was in the car when it crashed. Right. Tried to start it, was like, oh shit, I need to get up this hill. I need yeah. to get up this ravine. Yeah. Come on, come on, come on. Right. Again, worst day in somebody's life. Yeah. You're sitting yeah. in the driver's seat trying to get going. 46 times tells me, you're desperate. You're trying to get out of there. Yeah. Like, like somebody was behind the wheel of that car after it crashed into the, into the ravine. But I don't believe that they sat there with the windshield smashed. Yeah. With the, like with the airbags deployed with everything everywhere broken and just tried to sit there restarting the engine 46 times. Like, yeah, this is totally fine. This I can totally fix it. So you can't, right. what was that moment? <laughs> Right. Who was trying to get up the ravine? You know, I was thinking about this as we were as we were initially talking about this case, and something that came to mind, just because I'm trying to reconstruct a possible series of events, right? As, assuming that Daniel's the one in the car, and assuming that it goes down into this ravine, which we've seen some pictures. Um, we're yeah. actually going to discuss one of them coming up here. But with the vehicle, you know, on its side, down in this small ravine, um, if it's on its side... I could foresee a situation where if you're stuck in the desert and your car is on its side, you might try to right it by whatever means possible. So if it's still running at this point, you might want to, if you can, and it's hard for me to picture it because I haven't been on my, I haven't ever had a vehicle on the side, you know, I've, I've, yeah. I would never hope to be in that situation, but I could see a situation where maybe you're trying to work the wheels and give it some gas and keep it going so that you can... Turn it right side up. Right it, exactly, yeah. And then if at a certain point, and, and we don't have the information as to how much fuel was in the was in the car, which is interesting, but... Well, probably not a lot if it burned another 11 miles after it crashed. Right, right. And so it's very possible that by that point, maybe something happened to the to the ignition. I mean, it, the vehicle looks like it got smashed up. Um Jeeps mm-hmm. are pretty durable from what I've heard, but that's it, the thing. it looks pretty banged up. It's theoretically possible that the 46 attempts to restart it is simply after trying to get out of the ravine, something kicked off and then he just kept trying at that point. Like 46 is a big number, um, yeah. but it's very possible, maybe not probable, but could it be the case that he was trying to get the vehicle on its side in some respect? Maybe. I just, like, this is kind of a half-baked thought, so just go with me on this. Okay. But, like, the desperation of trying to restart a car 46 times seems to me to be completely contradictory or, like, it doesn't match up at all with the 11 extra miles after crashing thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how those two pieces of things, two pieces of information go together. Yeah. So, on the one hand, this car continued... 11 miles after it crashed so the engine must have been running but at the same time someone tried to restart the engine 46 times right how can a car which won't start run another 11 miles yeah yeah those two pieces of information seem incongruous to me like i just don't understand how they go together right 
I also wonder, so here is my thought. We don't know if there's any information that any tools might have been in the vehicle. Um, if your car is on its side, you might use whatever tools might be available, whether that's a crowbar, whether that's a jack, which usually comes on every vehicle to try and, yeah. you know, raise up a vehicle and get it on yeah. its side. But we don't have any information as to whether that was the case. And if that isn't the case and there's no evidence of that, then I kind of wonder even further, like what exactly happened when the car was in the ravine? Was Daniel even in the car when it went into the ravine? That's the thing. I don't think he was. Hmm. Okay. I don't think he was in the car. Or rather, I don't. I think he was in the car when it tried to restart 46 times. Right. I don't think he was in the car when it was burning 11 miles after it had been turned off. Right, right. I think yeah. he got out. I think... Well, I think a lot of things. We'll get to that right. later with this episode. For sure. Like. <laughs> I should also mention here, Anna, yeah. that you and I have both spent a lot of time in Arizona and have true. spent a lot of time around the greater Phoenix area. Yes, but that is very true. Yes. And and though we have yet and though we have yet to grab our people and gone hang out there together, which we should do. Um, we should absolutely do. We yes. should absolutely do that. Um We've never done that, but as a matter of fact, at the time of recording this, I've actually just come back from a quick trip down there. Nice. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I, I got away and got out of Canada for the first time in two years. Um, have to say it's a great place to visit in order to get back into travel mode and have a little bit of adventure. Um, there's, as you know, there's so much to offer in the in the Phoenix area and the, the greater surrounding uh, mm-hmm. uh, territory. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Well, then let me ask you this. Have you gained any insights on the area which might influence how we look at this case? Uh, I would say um, having having just gone and checked it out, you know, to see how things are there, the desert is as unforgiving as it's ever been. Uh, one of the things that I love most about Phoenix and the surrounding area is that all, like the desert just has so much for natural exploration. It's beautiful. The mm-hmm. terrain goes from being sandy and uh, rocky and varied. Um, the mountains are reddish. They're dotted with fields of like just, you know, massive expanses of tall green saguaro cacti, which are like big and beautiful. Um, the desert supports incredible wildlife diversity, everything from unique birds to lizards and snakes. And just speaking for myself, I love getting out there and hiking all the trails and the mountains. Uh, especially around the Usury Mountains and the Tonto National Forest, the Superstition Mountains, Santan Mountain Regional Park. Absolutely phenomenal hiking. But sweet Jesus, it is hot. It is, <laughs> like, in fact, it is hot. It is so hot. It's merciless. Yeah. And I have to say, and I've, I've found a photo here which was released by the, the Buckeye um, police. Um, they released an aerial shot of the car. And given how... I know the terrain firsthand and how you've seen it as well. Like mm-hmm. it should not come as any kind of surprise that Daniel's car was not found right away. So hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So here's, we've got the shot here actually. And based on the color of the car, which is like a blue gray, yeah. the, the surrounding scrub foliage. So there's this ravine, there's all this like, blue gray scrub foliage all around. There are trees that are approximately the size of Daniel's car. 
Um, yeah. The, the general topography of the ravine and the foliage in the area, the coloration, the, the way that the terrain looks, even from a ground level and from an aerial level too, like the car just blends in extremely, extremely well. It and does. Yeah. It really does. And I think some casual observers might go like, how did he, how was he found, like how was the car found four miles from where he was last seen and, and a full month later? even after an aerial shot, or sorry, after an aerial search and after dogs and UTVs and everything. And like, if you look at this picture, it's, you can see where it would take a month. Yeah. I, I think one of the, um, one of the first pitfalls the true crime community falls into when we're talking about police investigations it's it's almost like a meme of like people hitting the cover up button, right? The conspiracy yeah. cover up. Yeah. That this didn't happen fast enough. Oh, it's a cover up. We talked about this in the Elisa Lamb episode or the yeah. Cecil Hotel episode. Yeah. When it's like, you know, the police there were there were dates on Elisa Lamb's autopsy that were incorrect. Oh, it's a police cover up, right? right. Well, no, just right. someone got the date wrong. But like, yeah, yeah. There's human error here because. Like, to those who are visual learners, I'm a huge visual person, right? Let me describe to you, if, if, if Alex's excellent description hasn't been sufficient, let me describe this photo to you. Imagine you're sitting in an airplane and you look down and everything you see is either gray or brown or one very odd-looking small green tree. And hidden among those odd splotches of green is another blue-green thing. It's it's that's how hard it is to see this car. Yeah. It's it's tiny to begin with because it's an aerial search. It is impossible to see because it blends in perfectly with the color palette of the desert which is gray, brown and green. Mhm. It's hot, so it's difficult to stay focused out there. Yep. It's dry, so it's really difficult to pick up a scent of anything. And oh yeah, everything out there can kill you. Like it's not there's no police conspiracy here about trying to delay access uh of the Robinson family to Daniel's possessions. No, it's yeah. just really hard to find these things in the desert. Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah. and it's crazy too just looking at this photo and realizing that it, there's a there's a road. Like it's not very far away from a road, you know. It's um, it's literally just off a couple, I don't know how what the imperial is, just a couple yeah, feet in from the road. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's not very far. And yet, if there was not a giant red arrow pointing at exactly where the car was, it would be extremely yeah. hard for anybody to see this. It would be impossible. I, I agree with your entire assessment about Arizona, by the way. It's stunning, but I would add mm. two things. Mm -hmm. Make one wrong step in the desert and you will get got. By nature, either a scorpion yeah. or a snake or something else sharp or pointy or primeval. The last time uh, I was in Arizona, and we were down in Sedona. Oh yeah, which was which was lovely. Mm -hmm. um, and we were driving back from dinner one night, and there were all of these signs along the road for hikers saying like, "Don't don't hike here. There's snakes." <laughs> or like, right, you know, yeah, walk off the pay, uh, walk off the trail at your own discretion. Because there's snakes. Yeah. 
everything there is dangerous. And the other thing that I would add is that Arizona kind of has this Vegas effect between cities. Mm. So if you're ever walking on the Vegas Strip, everything is so big, it gives the illusion of being really, really close. But properties are, are actually quite far from one another. Yeah, I find the same thing with cities, particularly around the Phoenix area. So I was visiting my, my in-laws in Scottsdale a few years ago, and I went up to visit my sister-in-law, who at the time lived in Tempe. Um, and I thought it would be a quick drive, but you end up driving quite a while. And on the way, you go from like a lovely city to immediate desert, immediate mm-hmm. desert, mm-hmm. and then boom, you're in another city. Yeah. My landmark was always the Talking Stick Resort because it's kind of this lush development that is smack dab in the middle of the desert. Yes. So like, yeah. you it's know inter- the big one just off the highway there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting yeah. that you mention it because I was golfing and that was actually my landmark for making my shots go straighter. Yeah, <laughs> because it's it sticks out of nowhere. That's yeah, why. Yeah, it sticks up and it's like, hey, that's a talking stick right there. Um, Precisely. Yeah. So it serves what as a all great this, golfing reference. It's fantastic. Look, whatever whatever keeps your game on the green, you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. But what this means for Daniel is a couple of things. Firstly, being in the desert without your clothes mm. is really disturbing to me. But it really lends credence to one of the theories that I'm about to share with you. But well, what I'm talking about here with like the danger of everything around you and the scale and the size and the kind of elusive nature of the desert is that Daniel was not in a fair fight against the climate and environment in which he found himself. Okay. But before we talk theories, we need to hit pause for a second and we need to talk about Caitlin. Yes, we do. So... If we haven't mentioned this yet, Daniel had a side hustle. He had his geological work, but he had a side hustle making deliveries for Instacart. And on one fateful night, Daniel brought a delivery of alcohol to the home of a woman named Caitlin. She and her friend, as he delivered it, invited him in. And following Daniel's disappearance, when a police report was made, Caitlin was quoted in it as saying that she, quote, believed Daniel was very nice, and she and her female friend asked Daniel if he wanted to hang out with them. Caitlin and her friend had been drinking, and the police report goes on to say that looking back on it, she knew that she shouldn't have invited a stranger into her home. Um, She added that she thought that he was harmless, as he only had one arm and was shorter in height. We don't know too much about what transpired, but we've all been young and foolish in our 20s, right? So yeah. we can presume that they chatted, maybe they had a few drinks. We also know that Caitlin recommended a few books to Daniel. But after Caitlin, whose name, full name is redacted in the reports, after Caitlin and Daniel exchanged numbers, she insists that nothing else happened. I don't believe that nothing happened that night, but that's between Caitlin and Daniel and whoever they believe in. <laughs> right. And I think, I mean... Not to not to too, put too much into speculation, but we mm-hmm. know that from Daniel's side, this was not just a, as we've subsequently come to learn, it wasn't just a, he came in for a bit and they had a chat. It yeah. was something more than that to him. Yeah. Can I just say, like, so much of the police report, like, breaks my heart. <laughs> like, this breaks my heart because it's not fair to judge a person like not to be cloying about it but it's not fair to judge a person based on what they look like right 
For sure. It, yeah. it doesn't matter whether or not Daniel has two hands or has one hand. Um, it doesn't matter whether he seemed like a nice guy or we were having some, like, you, you take a risk the second you invite a stranger into your home. Okay? Yeah. Period. Yeah. There are a whole other conclusions that people who are much smarter than I am can help us draw about this. But, like, at the end of the day, you... <laughs> The like the the assessment you've made in your head is okay. I've made a judgment about him physically. I've made a judgment about him, like morally. Mm. I am now going to roll the dice and do the most dangerous thing a single woman can do, which is invite a strange man into her home with alcohol. Like, right. Yeah. I can't. There aren't enough PSAs after school specials like on earth. Like, what? What the hell are you doing? You do not invite a strange man into your home. I don't mm. care what he looks like. No, let that be like a PSA just Ugh. as as true crime uh, enthusiasts. No, true yeah. crime. Well, yeah, sure, sure. True crime enthusiasts or, you know, yeah. people who are interested in this sort of thing. Um, yeah, don't ra- don't invite random people into your house. Just it's, don't do it. Just don't do it. What happened like, to the PSAs of our youth where it was like stranger danger and stuff like that? Stranger danger. Yeah. This is what I'm saying, okay? it. If he brought you Instacart alcohol, you know what the appropriate response to that transaction is? Thank, Thank you, you, for you so much. Instacart Have a alcohol. lovely evening. Bye. Yeah. And then yeah. you go inside and you hang out with your friend and then your day goes on and you are no longer part of this relationship with this person. Right. And the reason I'm getting so flustered about this is that like, A, <laughs> A, I'm a woman and I have been raised by, by, by family members and friends, but literally every educational institution I've ever gone to has been like, Hey, stay sharp. Look alive. Right. Don't right. let strange men into your life. It's literally the number one cause of death to women is men. Be careful. <laughs> God, it's not hard. Like, Frank. Yeah. (laughs) Keep it on a swivel. Look around. I I think it's safe to say that when you see a a brazen example of just like, and the inhibitions are gone and like whatever safety bubble I've created is gone, that, you know, we, you, you, you particularly take it like, like, come on, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. So I'm flustered about that, but I'm also flustered because like, this isn't just about Caitlin's safety, right? This is also about Daniel's safety yes. and Daniel's well-being Absolutely. and Daniel's health and Daniel's feelings of security and yeah. wellness. And because following that night, yeah. Daniel began texting Caitlin frequently right. and showing up, showing up at her home uninvited. Mm. Not great. And you know what? Daniel wouldn't have been doing that if Daniel hadn't been invited in by two strangers to hang out and have some drinks. Now, I'm not, I, again, I know that there are people out there who are going to say I'm a victim blamer, and I'm not. So let me just put this out here too. Young men, hear me now. If you are thinking that you should maybe show up uninvited at the residence of a woman you don't really know, or a man that you don't really know, should you do it? No, you should not. No. Don't do that. Don't show up at people's houses if you haven't been invited to their houses. Period. Absolutely. It's not safe. It's not a good idea. Nothing good comes out of that. So please, 
I've hear me. I've never heard of a time where showing up uninvited at someone else's place has ever been a good idea. It's literally never a good idea. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. No. It's not good for anybody who might be in the periphery. No, don't do it. Don't Don't do do it. it. You know what you do? You call a friend and you go make a plan with them and you go hang out invited with them. Or you go home and you play some video games and you have a consubstantiated feeling of community with other gamers around the world and it's totally fine. Yeah. But... But this became a problem because a text from Caitlin sent on June 20th said, quote, honestly, you showing up at my house unannounced made me feel extremely uncomfortable, end quote. That's extremely fair because though Caitlin made a questionable decision inviting a stranger into her house, she was still completely within her rights to say, I don't like this. I'm feeling pressured. Please don't come to my house. It's making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. She then went on to say, I will not be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. End quote. That should be enough. That is enough. Excuse me. That is more than enough for the recipient of that message to say, oh, I need to fall back. Okay. This person has used their words very politely, I might add. I feel one way about this person. They obviously don't reciprocate. Okay, on to the next one. On to the next person who might might be the right one for me, right? Like you just Oh, what am this is what I'm saying. It's a mess for everybody involved. You don't totally. bring strangers into your life because you don't know who the stranger is because it's a stranger. That's right. That's right. Yeah. She's already said to him I'm not real. This is making me uncomfortable. I don't see us hanging out anytime soon, which is like subtext, dude, I'm out. Leave me alone. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Period. It's, it's, it's leave me alone. It's yeah. It's a little bit muddy perhaps, but that's the point there. It, it could not, if, if I'm receiving that text, I'm understanding, oh, this person isn't into me. Yeah. That isn't necessarily the message Daniel received. Or perhaps it wasn't the message he wanted to receive because the next day on June 21st, Daniel showed up outside of Caitlin's house and texted, quote, I'm outside your place, end quote. Mm. Not, not great. Not great. Not great. Caitlin responded with several question marks in a text and said, please stop doing that. I'm not even home. This is not okay. Now, at this point, she can't be more clear. She's asking, please stop that. This is not okay with me. This I'm not involved in this anymore. Like I'm out. I'm out on this. I'm out on you. Thank you. Next. Right. Daniel then texted back asking if Caitlin, quote, hated him. This is something, I don't know whether this is like a generational thing. Mm. Maybe I'm just like an old fogey millennial and maybe it's a Gen <laughs> X thing. I don't know. But like this, th- when I say I hate somebody, it means that I, with every fiber of my being, like I don't actually hate anybody in the world, right? Like I, there's nobody in my life where if I saw them walking across the street, I hate that person. Oh, like, okay. It's such a, maybe I'm just an idiot. No, no, no. I'm I'm not saying like I'm surprised. I I can see that coming from you. It's just that like I kind of thought everybody had like one or two people that 
But if I don't, like, if I feel that way about somebody, I just don't think about them. Like, you're not on my radar. Like, Right, yeah, yeah. They just I, don't, they're, they're, they're just not even there. Yeah, I don't even think about you because why would I expend any mental energy on somebody who I've got nothing for? Like, nah, that's, just, that's a great lesson that we can all learn from. Right yeah. There. yeah. But this, but the use of, like, do you hate me seems to be code for, like, do you like me still, though? Like, we're okay, though, right? Like, mm. do you hate me? It's like... Because it's asking such a hyperbolic question that, of course, the answer to that question is not... Like, of course, the answer to the question of, do you hate me, is, no, I don't hate you. It's just that, blah, blah, blah. So you're, right. like, fishing for a bit of an affirmation in there. Because you oh. want to get the other person to say, no, I don't hate you. Oh, now I feel better about myself. It's right. just that I, blah, blah, blah. And then you give some bullshit reason as to why I don't want to hang out with them. But, right. like, to throw around the word hate like this to me yeah. is so friggin' dramatic. Like, obviously yeah. she doesn't hate you. She doesn't know you. You want to know how I know she doesn't know you? She literally met you one time. <laughs> right. You know what's interesting about that is I read that differently. But... Oh, okay. As you've read it, I I see the 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 different interpretation because that that sort of fishing for it, right, is definitely a possibility. See, I read it as almost like a kind of extreme self depreciation. Like you know, when somebody okay. says like like let's say you have an argument with somebody and then you yeah. say like, "Do you hate me?" It's almost like. It, it's almost like it's you saying that you have a problem with yourself. You have like your oh. own self mental anguish. And this is okay. like their rejection of you. You are now presenting as something that hurts even worse because of how you feel about yourself. Oh my God. That's such a big, that's a, that's a huge idea. That's psychologically deep maybe, or maybe it's total bullshit. I'm not a psychologist, but I don't know. When I, I read just... it. I kind of thought like it was almost like a, like a, like a ploy for sympathy in the sense that's that the thing kind of like, do you hate me? Like other people hate me. Like cause, oh. cause for somebody to jump to that kind of conclusion, yeah. like, like you said, it is an extreme uh, response, but I kind of yeah. read it as like, like, building on something that was self like already existing in terms of like almost like other people hate me or I hate myself. Oh, like so I already feel negative about myself in ways X, Y, Z. Right. Do you do you not only see those things about me but like hate me on top of that? It's right. just like Yeah. Oh, okay. So in one in one place you're asking the question, do you hate me from a position of like um it's not authority, but like you're fishing, looking for an affirmation. It's kind of a manipulative thing to be like, well, do you hate me? Because I want right. you to say that you don't hate me because I want to stay in your life. Right. But for what you're saying is that you're you're in a really low position. You're feeling like a really low status person. Right. And you're asking if that person is acknowledging the low status that you feel about yourself. Yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, see, this is the thing. This case is so full of opposition. It's like there's, there's so a much to car, think of. Yeah. There's a car that drove 11 miles after it crashed, but it couldn't start. Yeah. There's a guy who we can't tell if he's like a master manipulator or like very low on the self-esteem front. Right. This is full of contradiction. There he, are, it, it's a case of extremes, right? Absolutely. There's a absolutely. disappearance with no clear reason or, or rationale behind it you'd think that there'd be something found out there and yet, you know, well, I mean, the picture of the car is a great example. You'd think the car could be found easily in the desert, but yeah. no, 
It's it's hidden amongst everything else. That's the thing. But is that car hidden amongst everything else because somebody crashed it? Or is it hidden among everything else because someone's trying to hide it amongst right. everything else? Exactly. Because, you know, it's actually pretty easy to hide in the desert. It's like a blue-green car. You find a cactus, which happens to be kind of bluey green. Yeah. And you just throw it in there. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. And, like, th- th- what I, like... I find so many contradictions in this man. He's a geologist who also works for Instacart. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah. Because, and like... And lots of people have side gigs. Lots of people have multiple jobs. It's a normal thing. Absolutely. I'm not saying one is any better or... I'm not not making a judgment on people's employment at all. You got to do what you got to do. And a lot of people work really hard at those kinds of jobs. But it's just sort of interesting because it's like you're salaried, you're contracted or whatever. You've got this on the go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yet there's more, you know? It's so confusing to me because, I mean, as I opened this episode, I said, like, you look at this man, when you Google him, all you get is, like, charisma, friendly, personality, charming. Big smile, tons of energy, yep. tons of like hobbies, Active, all that kind of stuff. Like he's out and about in the outdoors, yeah. he's hiking, like, yeah. But yeah. then you get like, but he's like creeping a girl and hanging out at her house when she says, don't come to my house. Like, well, and also, who's that guy? And also the nature of, let's, let's tear this apart too in the text. Like, when someone says, like, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna be home today. Right, and then you text. I'm outside your place. Yeah. So it's like, okay, are you actually outside their place, or are you trying to mess with them? Like we don't know if it was a, a manipulative aspect or if it was just a joke that wasn't taken the right way. Or oh, what. oh, I totally see what you're saying. I know yeah. I didn't even think about that, but I totally see what you're saying. It's like, ha ha ha. Can you imagine if I said to you in all seriousness, I'm outside your place when you've specifically told me, yeah, don't come to my house. Right. I mean, and I thought about it from the other perspective. Like, I bet she was at home. I bet she was just saying, like, I'm not here. Because right. why would you, like, if I know that there's someone who's making me really uncomfortable, yeah. I'm not going to tell you where I am, whether I'm at my house or not. I'm just right. going to say, don't come to my house. Yeah. But to be like, why would you volunteer the information about your house being empty to somebody who's demonstrated that they're unreliable? Right. Right. If someone's crazy, I'm not going to tell you whether or not I'm home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't, but they're young, right? Like, it's, right. you're not probably thinking about that. She's somebody whose guard is so low, she's mm. welcoming complete strangers into her home. Yeah. Or she's let her guard down for one of the first times where it's, like, been, t- you know, totally open and then is like, oh, God, how do I, how do I yeah. put this rabbit back yeah. in the hat? And, and again, I, this sounds like I'm blaming people on it and then maybe, maybe I, I don't know, but... Like, we're, we're really trying you, not to blame anybody. We're I'm just really trying to, trying to see this from every perspective. Yeah. yeah, like I'm trying to find this from every perspective. I think the thing we keep forgetting is that they're young. Yeah. <laughs> you're that's young, true. That's you're true. out on your first job, or you're in school and you're drinking with a girlfriend. It's fine for me to be like, don't let strange men into your house. Girl, I've been there. I get it. <laughs> like, yeah, we've all done. I've Shitty. look to Oof. be honest. I've I've remembered a few times in the last little while where I've either invited people over randomly or randomly been invited over to places at like three in the morning, and yeah. I'm like, how <laughs> did anybody get away with that? Like, uh, how did how was all of that okay? <laughs> so Tom Segura has this really great bit about 
how, like, explain to his kids one day, like, what it was like to purchase cannabis before it was legalized in his state. I remember so he's that, like, yeah. Daddy used to get into cars with strangers. Like, <laughs> yeah, he would go to a parking lot and meet a guy yeah. who you hope isn't packing, who you hope is alone, yeah. who's, like, who may or may not show up, like... Yeah. I, I, I was once working in a bar and I had the night shift, so I didn't get done until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And a girl I barely knew texted me to ask if I wanted to come over and help proofread her essay. Is that what they're calling it? <laughs> no, she literally asked and I went over and I proofread her essay. You're, you're good good friend Alex you're a great friend I mean I do my best <laughs> now when Jesse, you're I don't proofreading know should, I, don't, I don't know if we should keep that but if if it's fine no you like, definitely should were you okay. proofreading in MLA or Chicago um, or APA it was APA actually oh was it APA see I was I always wrote in MLA I love MLA. yeah me too me too that was well but she was in different classes so oh okay yeah the nerdiest conversation I've ever. Oh, it was actually yeah. Arabian. Yeah. Oh, oh, nice use of uh, nice use of Calibri on this. Uh, I'm surprised <laughs> your professor numbers. wouldn't do that. Yeah. Page numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're at we're at. Don't hate me. <laughs> so Daniel asked if Caitlin hated him. It was quote unquote hated him. She texted back in her final message to him. I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. I don't know how you can get more clear than that, right? Yeah. I don't hate you. I don't know you. <laughs> it's kind of hard to hate somebody you don't know. Right. But like, right. but if there's any, like, she had been polite about this before. I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. He didn't get the message. He hangs yeah. out. He goes allegedly outside of her house. Please stop that. This is not okay with me. Okay. More forceful. And now she's saying verbatim. Please leave me alone. Yeah. I think what's important, I think we just have to acknowledge here that like all parties here are acting poorly. And maybe poorly isn't even a fair word. Everyone's just being young. Yeah, everyone's acting like a young person, you know, being sociable perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Generously, I guess, you know. Yeah, and just going with it in your, like, 20s, you're just like, I don't even know what's going to happen in my life tomorrow. Like, right. who cares? It's just going to, I don't know, TikTok, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I'm just going to wake up and, like, do brunch, I guess. I don't know. I guess I'll, like, dance for a minute and see if it goes viral. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, fuck, man. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm salty about TikTok. I, anyway. I, I don't have it. I don't understand it. It makes me very upset. I saw this ridiculous one where this this guy suddenly went off on a tangent about like how like I thought TikTok was for like dancing and stuff and suddenly it cut to a dude opining about like how Marvel movies need to become more like have more gravitas and I was like dude no no stop I'm gonna, stop. stop rethink your life I'm going to go read a book you know Get- you know what? You've one life. You have one life. If, yeah. And I mean like you have O-N-E life to live, but also you have W-O-N life. Right. If that's what you're concerned about. You have won the lottery. If that's your if biggest concern. On this day, 
where you have decided to allocate your time is to filming yourself talking about whether comic book movies should or should not be more serious. And then you're going to film that video, like you're going to share that video of you filming yourself talking about Marvel with the world because that's what we need to hear right now. Yes. What I need to know is fucking Jeff's opinion on whether or not Captain America's new costume is like tight enough. Is, oh, Jeff has is some thoughts. the drip <laughs> dripping? Is it what is the fit? Like I I can't I can't. Yeah, yeah, I know. As I know. we're oh my god. But anyway, the the point being, people are young and people are doing Random yeah, things. they're doing they're, they're young, going with it. young stupid shit. And yeah. we've all been there. It's fine for me to be like, what are you doing, Caitlin? No, girl, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I've done the same stupid shit. I I don't think I'd ever write somebody off for their physical capacity, but like, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, Caitlin and her friend probably shouldn't have invited a stranger in her, into the home based on their judgment about him. And my guy... When she says, stop texting me and showing up in my house, you need to fall back. It's time to fall back. It's time to regroup. It's time to find new people in your life to hang out with. It's, it's enough. Because it, yeah. at that point, it's, 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 it gets a little scary, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So following Caitlin's request to be left alone, Daniel texted her one more time. And this time, it was a really odd message. And he said to her, quote, The world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can, or we can, whatever, to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. Hmm. End quote. Hmm. So here are a few ideas that I think might explain what could have happened. Daniel met Caitlin, he clearly became, like, I'm not going to say necessarily obsessed, because I think that's a word that we throw throw around too much. He was hyper-focused on Caitlin. He told her that he loved her. She told him that he wasn't interested. He became kind of unmoored from from reality in that rejection. And the support we have for this is the following. The colleague who saw Daniel that day at the site said he thought Daniel had gone on a video game binge all night in his despair and had come to work without having slept. Maybe he drove off He drove off into the desert to take a nap and was never seen again. This is not impossible, right? You talked yeah. about this uh, when we, uh, in, in, your, in your opening of this episode. It's easy to get lost in the desert. Everything looks the same. Mm-hmm. It's flat. It's hard to see your, your way around appropriately. You might not even see a ravine until it's literally, until you're literally driving into it, you know? A hundred percent. I'd like to follow up on a couple of key points on this as we're talking about it. From what we know on the available reporting, there's a fair amount of evidence that suggests that he was really hung up on this Caitlin girl. Yeah. Like beyond the normal bounds of romantic interest. Like I know you said hyper-focused. I think that's probably a good way of, you know, obsessed is maybe a little too... I don't know, passe or something? I don't something. know what obsessed means. I don't know what that means. Like, we right. use it for everything. I have no idea what that it's, means. It's lost meaning. <laughs> yeah. So, but it 
it looks like they had just recently met, but he kept texting and he kept wanting to connect with her and then was either joking or trying to manipulate or was actually there in saying that he was outside her house. And she was clearly trying to push back in a semi-nice way. Like, I agree. Maybe not semi-nice, but in the sense of without explicitly saying, leave, like, dude, leave me alone. She kind of led up to that as opposed yeah. to said it right away. So yeah. evidently, from what we know, it seems like there was a real hang-up. And I will say it's hard to be in somebody else's mental space when it comes to things like romance or even being obsessed with somebody because I feel like it's it's so hard to gauge just how people... In, like take different interactions, right? There's so much fluidity and variety when it comes to how hard somebody can fall for somebody else. And, you know, it's all, it's all different. It's all kind of subjective. So it's possible that he took an interest in her. Her subsequent rejection of him led to or contributed to some kind of break, almost like a triggering event. Mm-hmm. He felt he needed some time out in the desert which could have led him to drive out to a remote spot. You know, maybe he went to work thinking, like, obviously not in a very good place, as his work colleague mentioned, and felt like he needed some time to be out there by himself for a bit. But then perhaps, owing to unfamiliarity with the area, the natural, strange, weird topography of the desert, he could have had an accident and been stranded out there. So it's definitely possible that that's what happened. Right, like a, like a really triggering event, a mental break, a need for being alone, an accident, and a stranding situation. It it happens. Like yeah. to to our earlier point, rejection when you're that young feels oh. like the world will stop has stopped spinning. Oh yeah, like it's the worst. I, it's a, the worst. Yeah, <laughs> I I think we've all been there. I remember. I was I was so desperately in love with this guy when I was in my, my undergrad, and it did it. Woo, was this the guy who looked kind of like Richard Ramirez or somebody else? Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but I like couldn't stand up straight. I had a job at the time, a little gift shop, and I just I had to find something to lean on at all times sure. because supporting my own body weight was just like I can't because mm. my entire like. The amount of mental energy we had expended on each other was just, like, exhausting. Mm -hmm. And when it didn't work, I was just like, well, now who am I? Now what am I going to do? I totally understand how being 21 and meeting a person who makes your brain go crazy because you're experiencing this very strong chemical reaction of love makes you go crazy. I totally get that. And and rejection, like I was thinking back to being 21 and, and the times that I was like, you know, experiencing breakups or rejection. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you really feel it at that time. Oh, my, it's, um, you take it so personally. So if there's <laughs> any like early 20s people listening right now who have experienced this and thought like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah, but it's going to feel that way. Yeah. But don't worry, it gets better. It gets a lot better. And, and let me tell you. When you can look back, you're going to be, you're going to feel fine, you know, and you will be, you will turn into so much of a cooler person because rejection and pain makes you develop charisma and a personality and resilience and senses of humor. And let me tell you when you, (laughs) when you have, um, 
when you build that emotional callus, yeah. it actually turns you into a much cooler person that other people find more attractive. Totally. So like, I know that it sucks right now. If if we connect with one person who's going through heartbreak, Alex, I think we have done our duty for the day. Absolutely. But like, whoever he or she was who hurt you, they don't deserve you to begin with. You're going to be fine. Take the trash to the curb and then don't check on it. When we take the trash to the curb, we leave it at the curb. But, like, you are going to be fine. Everyone, Alex and I included, have had our hearts broken. You're going to make it through. Write a sad poem in your journal and move on. Yep, You're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You're so going to be fine. When I was 21, I got dumped by somebody who I thought the world of. And... And I thought like, oh my God, everything's falling apart and I have like, yeah. I'm, 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 I suck and I'm useless and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So to fast forward to today, yeah, I have a podcast that I love doing and yeah. she and her husband made the news for getting into a fist fight in a bookstore. <laughs> so you're going to be fine. You're going to be better than be fine. 100%. Hundred percent. It's you have no idea how fine you're gonna be. You just need to like you're going through hell. Keep going. You're gonna make it to the other side. Alex and I will meet you there with our respective partners. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Next theory on what happened. Oh, I feel so. I feel so encouraged right now. <laughs> I just sort of like, like you're doing the right thing for people. Yeah. I want to high five my 21 year old self. Be like, it's okay. <laughs> it's all you're good. gonna be fine. It's just, all good. Just go to work. Yeah, go to <laughs> Finish work. your shift. <laughs> Stand up. Not worth it. All right. Next theory on what happened. So I found the language of his last text to Caitlin to be really odd. Mm, yes. And let me start by saying that I consider myself to be something of a shyster academic. I am fascinated by people who make a living telling other people encouraging truisms with Mm -hmm. enthusiasm. Right. It is awe-inspiring to me. I am as enthralled by a preacher as I am by a Tony Robbins or an Oprah, or in this case, an Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. For those of you who aren't aware of Eckhart Tolle, allow me to enlighten you. Imagine Vizzini... From the Princess Bride. But instead of trying to poison you with a goblet of wine with Iocane powder while playing 5D mental chess, he rolled Mr. Rogers for his vest and (laughs) adopted a hypnotic voice with the clipped, studied rhythms of a native German speaker's English. His YouTube channel boasts over 1 million subscribers and is full of videos with titles like Being Present Through Challenges, Understanding God, Stepping Into Awareness, Fear of Not Thinking, and Thoughts Can Color Your Reality. His book titles literally sound like Parks and Rec, Crooner, Duke Silver album titles, <laughs> but instead of like quote memories of now and smooth as silver, it's and I'm not joking here, the power of now and mm. stillness speaks, like deadly serious, no smooth jazz. It's Ron Swanson in a pork pie hat 
and an alto saxophone, but for your soul, and Oprah right. told you so. Yeah. Like, and as it, he's Oprah approved, she claims that he, quote, transformed her life, and she interviewed him for her network's uh, weekend feel-good favorite, Super Soul Sunday. So what's the deal here? Why am I talking about Eckhart Tolle? Well, when Caitlin came into Daniel's life, she encouraged him to listen to Tola's podcast, claiming it changed the way she looks at life, quote unquote, that it would show, quote, show him how to view things in the world in a positive energy and to avoid negative energy, unquote. What the hell did they get up to mm. that night that he brought them Instacart? Like, yeah. How did what? bringing, I, I mean, I'd love to know actually, but how did bringing alcohol over and then coming in for a bit suddenly turn into like Eckhart Tolle? Maybe they really didn't do anything like physical and maybe they li- like literally just sat there through through a couple beers downrange and right. like talked about life. Life? The universe. And how like it happens, right? Like, like it's possible. I guess. Yeah. So I, don't know. I have another theory as to what could have happened. Mm, okay. I think he met Caitlin. I think he confessed his love for her. We know he got rejected, and I think he pivoted to that text and to that podcast she had recommended as a last-ditch effort to connect. Because I think, again, when you're that young and someone rejects you, some people who are very self-confident are just like, cool, on to the next one. But some people who aren't very self-confident, and I would raise my hand amongst this group when I was that age, would have been like, cool, you don't like me? I'm going to jump even higher for your attention. Right. Oh, you don't want to pay attention to me? Okay, yeah. watch this. I'm going to do some flips and shit. Like, you, you like Guns N' Roses? I'm going to dye my hair black and wear a top hat. Right. I never actually got the top <laughs> hat. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. of... Like, you throw just, it, you double down. Like, d- quadruple, yeah. octuple down, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think that he got all of these messages from her saying stand back, not interested, no thank you, leave me alone. And I think he's like, okay, but you just don't get it. You just Mm. don't get that I'm, that we're so connected and I'm so into you. And I think that the pivot to Eckhart Tolle was his kind of last ditch way to signal to her like, no, 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 I I really like you. I really heard what you were saying. I really feel connected to you. I really want you to see me, right? And what's like so relatable. We have all been there. Yeah, yeah. So... I, so my my evidence and my support is this. He uses the language of Tola in his last text to her, and then he disappears. His final text says, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can, or we can, whatever, to name it. I'll either see you again, or I'll never see you again. Mm. My spidey sense started tingling when I read the section on, quote, naming it. Because it seems like the kind of self-help shorthand phrase that pumps someone up only for them to realize they have no idea what it is they're supposed to do once the adrenaline wears off, right? Mm, Right. So it's like a lot of motivational speakers get you so fired up and you're like, yeah, I'm totally going to go out there and co-create my reality. Well, what the hell does that mean? Like, what? (laughs) Qua? No, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I Googled it. I Googled oh. naming it in Eckhart Tolle. Okay. And don't you know that Tolle has something special to say about, quote, naming? And this uh. is what he has to say. So this is from his, this is from the Eckhart Tolle website. 
More often than not, we tell stories of such things from our mental memory. The stories may be interesting and entertaining, but when we speak of them from the conceptual memory and not from our own sense of aliveness, the stories are flat. Right off the top, I have no idea what any of this means. I I have no idea what conceptual memory is. Uh, How is is it different from the mental memory? uh, This is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, okay... Like your husband's a big Assassin's Creed fan, right? So he's Hunt familiar. <laughs> yeah, so he's familiar with the concept of genetic memory. Oh you my know? god, I love that whole series. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to think like, okay, mental memory. Well, isn't that just memory because it's a mental process? Because that's the thing. What's and how is a concept different from like how is my conceptual memory different from the mental? Me- I, d- I don't know. I don't me, know either. Me, but okay, let's let's see. Maybe he looks. I continue. <laughs> So he says, we even name our own inner experiences, such as the emotions we experience. How many of us name our emotions rather than feel them deeply and fully? I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. These are examples of naming, uh, naming our emotions rather than feeling them. I don't know what the, like, what the counterpoint is. Like, instead of saying I'm angry, you're just like, ah! Right. Because, yeah. like, we tell children not to do that because sure. it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, when you speak these words, how angry do you feel? Are you inside the experience of your anger or are you reporting it like a journalist? Like, coming to you live from my <laughs> kitchen, I'm fucking I'm furious. <laughs> yeah. I can't find that thing that I need. More on this at 11. That's like, what I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that the next time that I have like a, an issue. Be breaking like, news. Breaking news from the garage. I cannot find my ratchet set and I'm extremely upset. I'm having a total breakdown because I should be able to think, like, I should know where these things are. Um, more to come at, uh, you know, midnight. Yeah, more to precisely. come at the late show. And yeah. Good morning. Uh, developing, I still haven't found my ratchet set. Developing like, story. Local man can't find ratchet, <laughs> semicolon, is upset. Like... <laughs> Tire change still goes undone for another week. Like totally um, fucked. Totally yeah. fucked. Totally completely fucked. <laughs> so it is the ego that traps us in this incessant naming and labeling. Right, it's huh. the ego, that okay. good old ego. Good old the ego. ego is a mental phenomenon and has no capacity to feel. It mm. names our experience and our world because it cannot directly have the experience. Again, I have. No idea what this means. So he's really trying to distinguish the ego from, like, the ego as a separate internal process? It, like, it and ego. This is Freud, but yeah. it's just, we're not going to call it Freud. But Right. I think what he's, okay. I think, I think what he's saying is that there's the physical experience of, there's, the, like, the physical experience of experience, right? I, I sure. stub my toe. I stub my toe. There's the physical experience of pain. There's the throbbing, the, yeah. the the thud, right? The impact, the bruise. There's the, ah, that pain. Yeah. And then there's me going, ah, I stubbed my toe. Like, so there are two separate things taking place there. There's the experience of me stubbing my toe and blood rushing to it, which, you know, my brain interprets as pain. And then there's the ego responding to it saying, ah, I didn't want that to happen. It really, really hurts. Yeah. And I'm now communicating it. 
And my ego cannot physically experience the pain because the ego is a psychological entity. Which I mean, even just hearing myself say this is just such cockamamie bullshit. Well, but, yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting about this is like, I'm pretty sure I heard something similar, if not in a similar vein, when I was watching YouTube videos of Keith Raniere, the Nexium leader. Okay. Like, it's pretty... It's a you know, hop, skip, and a jump, It's a right? hop, skip, and a jump, because that was what Keith yeah. Raniere used to do. He was like, if... And hilariously, hot tip to all of the true crime insiders out there, his YouTube videos have never been taken down. Oh, good. Like, <laughs> you can search Keith Raniere conversations on YouTube. They're still there. The account is still active. It's got all his crazy That's like stuff. And bonkers. It's super bonkers, and I've watched everything. I and, believe you. <laughs> and what's interesting is that um, he used to say a lot of similar things where he'd be like, there's the way you think, there's, there's what you feel, and then there's how you think you feel about it. So if you prick your finger on a cactus, are you, you feel that sensation of pain. But is it really pain? Is it what you would call pain or is it just you internally calling it pain? And it's like, well, dude, I'm not going to call it joy. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Don't know? piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Exactly. Right? Exactly. This is the thing. It's, I, I'm all for mindfulness and perspective and yeah. Yeah. calming yourself down in moments of distress. Yeah. But I'm also not so... I'm not so committed to that that I'll gaslight myself into being like, no, 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 no. This is totally fine. I'm not in pain when I, you know, right. hit my head against the wall. That's just the ego telling me I'm in pain. No, right. my head yeah. hurts. Yeah. And, you know, also on that note, speaking of note, um, do you ever do you ever meditate or ever try meditating? Um, yes. Yeah. To varying so, degrees of success. I've had you, some unbelievable meditations and then more where I'm just like, I don't want to sit listening to my own thoughts. Thank you right. very much. <laughs> no, totally fair. But, and, and I am not, this is not a, and I'm not angling for an endorsement here, but I, I used the Headspace app a little while ago. Mm. Um, and and I, I liked it a fair bit. Um, but, you know, what's sort of interesting was that there is a practice in meditation called noting where you literally just let thoughts and feelings go yeah. by as they go by in your mind and then you label them. So it's kind of interesting that, not not saying that this is identical because I don't think it is. This is looking for something deeper in that rather than a technique that's used to settle a person down. 100%. Like, it's so weird how Eckhart Tolle seems to be kind of making this a profound statement when it's like, you can borrow bits and pieces of this to just relax. Yeah, but that's... I my problem with this is, is that it's taking a very helpful, yeah, healthy intellectual process, yeah, of calming down and really identifying, okay, what's my pain point here? What am I really experiencing? But then turning it into something that is like pseudo academic to yeah. make very gullible people feel like they belong to a very special hyper intellectual club the that's actually gaslighting level. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. And it's Welcome gaslighting and, and and taking advantage of them. Because yeah. I think that's what happened to Daniel because mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. Um okay, so he goes on to say that Unfortunately, all of these names and labels, along with the ego's minds, concepts, images, words, judgments and definitions, blocks true experience and connection with other people. The ego mind keeps us engaged at the level of physical appearance and form, which means it present, prevents us from experiencing life, ourselves, and others directly in their fullness and magnificence and aliveness. So 
Mm. What I'm saying here is like all of this language, if you don't know any better, if you're a 21-year-old co-ed in your undergrad somewhere in Arizona, like I'm not, this isn't a knock about against Arizona, fine institutions, but like any undergrad, doesn't matter where you are, is going to hear this and be like, oh, I totally get it, right? Like right. I, I have been that liberal arts major sitting there reading Beyond the Pleasure Principle, thinking that I am <laughs> on the, you know, the vanguard of Freudian analysis. Yeah, Spoiler yeah. alert, I wasn't. But, <laughs> right. if, you're, right. but if you're not going to pick up Freud, you might as well pick up Eckhart Tolle and say, well, I don't need to read for it, I don't need to read Nietzsche. I don't need to read whatever. Yeah, I have I'm focused these on the new now, academics. the power of exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. Power of now. Memories of now. Of now. <laughs> and and I will respond to that by the way by by first saying that I think this is maybe better written than some other stuff that's out there, um, like Look the at Secret it. or whatever. Yep. Um, but this also generally strikes me, and I mean, if it's been helpful for you, okay. Cool. Then go, then do you. Good for you. Then you don't do listen you. to us and go with yeah, God. Don't Fine. listen to me. Like no, but um, but it seems really just pseudo analytical, and it seems like malarkey. It. Um, it I'd love to put 100%. Freud and Toll in a room together to discuss the ego and see what really happens. Like, could you imagine? I think Eckhart Tolle would short circuit, and I think <laughs> yeah, probably Freud would sit there staring at a cigar, very concerned about something or a pipe or whatever it was. Yeah, I think he was a cigar man. Yeah. Who was who was Sistine de Pas Peep? Uh, that was Magritte. René Magritte. Yeah. Um, but see, I am a well-educated person, and even I couldn't separate Freud and Magritte. So there. No, you that's go. okay. That's all good. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying here is like I think that Caitlin was just a girl just doing her with her friend, mm-hmm. made a a an unfair, uncharitable judgment about Daniel, who by all accounts seemed like a nice guy who was a little bit unclear on boundaries. Maybe, yeah. Um, and that and that verged on very um, disrespectful of boundaries. But I think he thought she, you know, she shared this very enlightened, very academic, intellectual, you know, thought leader with me. Yeah. She's blown me off with all of my other attempts to be romantic and show up unsolicited. I'm going to show her that I'm a deep thinker too. And mm-hmm. I'm going to show her that I get it by using the language of Eckhart Tolle to say that, okay, fine, you'll never see me again. I'm going to go out and name experience, whatever, yeah. um, until I can, you know, until I can find some value in our relationship or whatever, whatever language was. Um, mm-hmm. Because here's where shit gets really weird. The Tola quotation on the page where I found this bit on quote naming was Mm -hmm. you find God the moment you realize that you don't need to seek God. Firstly, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Right. Um, But like, let's look at his last sentence to Caitlin. I'll either see you again or never see you again. Here we have the dangling opposites, right? The contrasting binary of I'll either A or I'll B. I'll either see you again or I'll never see you again. You find God when you don't need God. This is someone who probably like me did a cursory Google of Eckhart Tolle, found this thing on naming and was like, how can I show Caitlin that I'm really into the thing that she's really into, given that she's blown me off five times and I yeah. really want to be with her? That's quite fascinating. Like, it, it's that same level of 
it's like one but the other. It's and then all or nothing, the, right? It's all or it's nothing. And what's the last text? I'll either see you again or I'll never, or I'll see, never you see you again. And the point of that statement is being, you'll see me again. Because, right, right. Because Tola is saying that you have that moment of discovery when you realize you don't need it. Yeah. Daniel is saying to her, you'll realize that you need me when you don't see me again. So you should see me again. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is this is this is the danger of the pseudo-intellectual motivational new age thinking is like it takes advantage of people who are so ripe for it. Like you have sorry, what I'm trying to say is like you have to be in a very specific headspace to be taken advantage of so fully, but a lot of people are because yeah. it appeals to those who feel left out, right? It's a person who serves as a light in the darkness. Come to me and I'm going to help you understand and feel better in life. That's what right. Caitlin said. That's what Oprah said. Tola made me feel so much more free and so helped me become like a more positive person and less negative energy. Who wouldn't want that? I want right. that. Right. If Daniel is feeling literally wayward in the middle of a desert, digging yeah. up old stuff and lost, why wouldn't it be attractive when someone says to you, hey, I've got this this new thinker. He's going to help you put your life in order. And oh, by the way, I'm a really pretty girl who invited you into her house. Mm. Daniel must have thought he struck it rich with this girl. He, it's very possible. And, you know, the more I think about this, and this is what really makes it sad, is I, I just, his... What we've what we've learned about his behaviors in the situation, it it doesn't sound like he was in a very a good way, and it no. kind of sounds like all of this built into something that was already not a great situation for himself. And whether it 100%. was hundred percent, you know, why did his dad leave so quickly? Because his dad knew something was off. Yeah, yeah. You and don't think, leave South right. Carolina that quickly to schlep to Arizona, leave everything you have, if you know that your son's totally fine. You do that when you know that your son is yeah. prone to periods or, of unst- uh, un- unreliable behavior. Right. Or, I mean, it could also be the case that, because some of it seems to suggest that he was pretty with it, though, historically. So I almost wonder if it... Because it, it, again, this is this is the nature of this case. The more that we've been looking at it, it's one thing and another. It like, it could be that there was a pattern of previous behavior that it's like it, he's he's not around. Okay, there's obviously something wrong. Or if he's not around, it's like well, because he's a pretty stand up guy and he doesn't just go dark on people like That's that. That's the thing. Which is it? Which is it? We don't know. Which guy are we talking about? Yeah. I because what it seems to me is like. We're talking about a guy who, for one reason or another, drove out into the middle of the desert, took off all of his clothes and left his car after it crashed. The clothing thing to me is so weird. It's very strange to me as well. I was thinking of, like, I, I was recently considering whether there's any kind of environmental consideration. But the thing is, like, from what we understand, he left the site during the day, right? Yeah. So if he was out there during the day... Um, I wondered if there was an environmental consideration because as you know, it gets hot out there. I don't know if shedding clothes is, you know, to, to help reduce moisture, like or reduce the loss of moisture. But in the desert, you, you want to cover up. That's well, yeah. the, that's the, that's the contrast that's of a the desert. That it makes more sense. You would think take off as much as you can. Yeah. You actually want cotton light fabrics on your body to wick away moisture. Right. Right. 
It's like if you're if you're a sweaty sleeper, you should actually wear pajamas because yeah. your skin breathes better than it doesn't matter. Right. Um, the, I was also reminded of something. Um, I I know this is a drastic example, but like when people experience extreme cold, they sometimes shed their yes their clothing because they feel like they're extremely hot and they need to get out of it. But it's a, out of a state of delirium. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, we know that this was during the day that he was out there. So unless it was unless it was at night, I mean, you know how cold the desert can get. It gets power cold power quickly. It gets really, really cold. So I don't know. I mean, there's probably somebody out there who knows about behavior in extreme desert environments. But um, but if you were I, in I am the not car, that person. why wouldn't you stay in the, like... Okay, I mean, it would get hot in the car, but... But you open the know. windows, at least you're sheltered. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to stay sheltered. Yes. So yeah. like, and this isn't like he had a change of clothes. They were right. his clothes from that day that were found right. in the car. Right. Like his, right. his vest, the neon vest thing was like in the car. Yeah. Yeah. He obviously had changed his socks because yeah. there were mismatched socks in the car and then yeah. one back at his site dig, or yeah. the dig site, excuse yeah. me. So... There, and there was, it's not like the clothes were dirty or soiled or like bloody. They were just right. in the car. So was it like he sweat through them and was more comfortable taking them off and then wandered off? Did he hit, did he, that's assuming that he was the one who crashed the car in the ravine and tried to restart it yeah. 46 times. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe he crashed the car, tried to restart it 46 times was sweating a bunch, realized, okay, I'm not going to restart this. I better walk back. Right. And, oh, it's really, really hot. I've sweat through my clothes. I'm just going to take them off. It's going to be embarrassing when I get back to the site, but whatever. Right. Because you're so delirious from the shock and the trauma of crashing your car in the desert and whatever emotional shit was going on in his life. Right. There's another thing to consider here too, which was, let's say there was an accident situation. And this is something that that sort of nags at me. If you're in an accident situation, and we've seen the picture of the, the aerial shot, right? Yeah. If you had driven off-road and into a ravine and you needed to get back to civilization, presumably you would follow your tracks back to the road that is there. That, Exactly. And yet there's no evidence that we've seen reported of that ever being the case. So, so what does that tell you? What does that tell you? He My first in instinct, <laughs> I, either he wasn't in the car. My first instinct was that he wasn't rationally thinking like some of us would be if we were to be in that situation, Yeah. Um, which is heartbreaking, frankly. Um, yeah. It's very possible that, you know, that... that the, the fact that he was kind of in a state or had been in a state or seemed to be in a state for the previous days suggests that maybe he wasn't in his right mind at the time, in which case he could be anywhere, which is really sad to think about. Um, or but, it tells you that he couldn't see the tracks because maybe it was night. Uh, well, if it was in the morning, though. I don't know. But if he, but if he went out, if he drove out... yeah crashed the car yeah we don't know we don't know if he took a nap first then crashed the car yeah if he just drove out and then tried over the period of five hours to restart or, the car or waited by the car until it got dark and then it was time to go walking somewhere like we yeah. don't know we don't know yeah. yeah it's extremely sad and it's also thought-provoking 
in some ways because it kind of challenges your assumption at no matter like it challenges whatever assumption you have no matter which way you look at it mm-hmm. right yeah. if there's the thought of irrational thinking there's also evidence that there is some you know there could be some rationality going on here mm-hmm. um there's a lot to consider here i i think we've covered off all the key stuff but we're not really at any any closer position to having a key answer i think for me, I think the Eckhart Tolle piece was part of it because yeah. it's so because using the terms to name it in yeah. such a specific context is is referential. That's not a yeah. natural phrase that people would use. That's not a, a uh, that's not an idiom that we use casually in that context. Yeah. It's obviously referring to the Eckhart Tolle thing. If it's referring to the Eckhart Tolle thing, it's referring to Caitlin. If it's referring right. to Caitlin, it's referring to the fixation he had on her. Yeah. If it's referring yeah. to the fixation on her, it's pointing to a, a, a period of instability of some kind. You know, Anna, I think you've made a salutary connection here to what was influencing what was going on. And so it doesn't I, answer I, that question of where he is, but... It points to there being something, something in play, maybe in his mind at the time. He went out for a walk. Yeah. Like, I think he had a. I think this is a, the same conclusion, or an adjacent conclusion that we had uh, to Elisa Lamb's death, which is mm. this woman had. You know, I think he had a break. I think he mm. had a really unfortunate day where his personal life and his health all kinds of health, um, physical health, mental health were at low capacity and he was unfortunately by himself in the Mm. worst possible place where you could be by yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's out there and like, I think that I think he's, I think he's in that desert somewhere. I, I, yeah, it's really, it's sad to think about. And you know, it's, it's worth noting, um, there's always the possibility that somebody knows something. Mm-hmm. There's always the possibility that there has been something that has been overlooked or something else that could help take that next step towards perhaps providing some answers in the situation. Um, so as of today, Daniel's still missing. His father, David, is continuing the search. And we'd encourage anybody listening, if you know anything even if you think it's the tiniest piece of information or that it isn't useful, if you know something, say something. Go to pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, click on submit info, and share what you can if it will help bring peace and closure to Daniel's family. That's right. Coming up next. Ah, yes. I need to take a deep breath. Uh Uh-huh. Because coming up next, we're going back to our CNG roots. Because in the next episode, we will be doing a shot-by-shot breakdown of the recently released trailer of HBO's adaptation of the Kathleen Peterson story. Wow. So grab your pipes, get ready to pick some fights, because we're going back to Durham, North Carolina. That's next time. On Cops and Gavels. 
Cuffs and Gavels is a Channel 3 production. Theme music is Mystery Sax by Kevin McLeod. Audio editing is by Jesse Reed. Tweet us at Cuffs and Gavels and share your own hot takes at cuffsandgavel at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in Cuffs and Gavels are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the people, institutions, or organizations the authors may be associated with in professional or personal capacities unless explicitly stated. <laughs>